Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. And I'm Elisa Baena. Jamar Roberts talks with his hands a lot. It's maybe what you'd expect from a choreographer. He speaks with his whole body. Movement is Jamar's language. It's how dancers express themselves. And how he creates world-class dance. Jamar's travels around the world as a sought-after dancer and choreographer have brought him home to South Florida. He's back in Miami where he was born for the world premiere of his first production with Miami City Ballet. It's called Sea Change. It opens this weekend at the Adrian Arsh Center. This gift of expressing himself through movement is what set Jamar apart from the other kids in South Dade. Well, that and the fact that he was six foot four. While his brothers were playing sports, Jamar was dancing. That gift changed his life. Jamar became a dancer for one of the most important dance companies in America. He was with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in New York for more than 20 years, first as a dancer, then as their resident choreographer. So we went to my old ballet studio to visit him. I grabbed our resident dancer and dance expert. That's me. And we met him at Miami City Ballet before a recent rehearsal. We talked about sea change, the women who mentored him, and his complicated relationship with his hometown. I'm curious, you know, we were talking about Miami things, and you rolled in here with, like, the most Miami, like, quick breakfast, which <laughs> yeah. was? Croquetas. Croquetas de qué? Café con leche. Are they, are they chicken croquetas? Or hammered chicken, irregardless, it's they're jamon. delicious? Jamon. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. So that's, that's <laughs> like Miami credentials right there. <laughs> awesome. What do you miss? Do you miss things about Miami particularly? <clears throat> um, uh, just some people. But the actual city itself, I'm going to say no to that. Oh. Um, only because I've just been away for so long. And while I've been away, I've been to so many different places. Like the Ailey Company, for example, I danced there for 18 years and they tour the entire world. So when you've seen the world, it's kind of hard to say, <laughs> you know, you miss Miami. But I do miss people here in Miami, for sure. Did, do you still feel like you have roots here? Do you feel like... I don't. No. I don't. I'd like to say that I do, but I really don't. Yes, I have my family, and they are a type of root system, but then I have an entire chosen family, you know, in New York that mm -hmm. provide a completely different level of support, and it's I've been with them for a really long time, so. Well, that's part of it, right? It's kind of like so much in life is finding your tribe, mm -hmm. and not your tribe isn't necessarily the located within the five square blocks where you grew up. Yeah, and especially I think when it comes to art, you know, it's in the grand scheme of society, it's such an obscure <laughs> sort of abstract thing to invest your time in doing all day, every day. So mm -hmm. if you can find people that are doing the same thing that you connect with, I think it's, um, it's good to hold on to them. Right. So you're here, obviously, in Miami because you're choreographing a new piece mm -hmm. and it's your first premiere in Miami. It's called Sea Change. Can you tell us about that? Sea Change has a lot to do with, um, it's not a narrative, it's not a piece that's about anything, mm -hmm. but it is more of a, a mood mm. where I'm trying to use dance and there's this theme of, of water to kind of illustrate the, the feeling of this moment. Post-COVID, I think there's so many aspects of our life that are at a really, like a level of like heightened 
tension and like whatever the word that means we don't know what the outcome is going to be you know mm-hmm. a lot of things are sort of butting heads you know socially economically politically in so many fields and i feel like it's only going to give birth to something uh, else but i think being in this place like giving birth from what i hear is not very easy and I think this moment, <laughs> yeah, the master of understatement, also from what I, I think this moment is, is just not an easy moment. So, mm-hmm. so is there like a like an element of catharsis in there, like of of that? It's funny to watch you talk as a guy who expresses himself through motion. Yeah. Like a lot of those quiet spaces when when you were thinking of answers is a yeah. lot motion with your hands and your head <laughs> and you're looking around and and it's that expression, right? So is that a lot of like that this period of 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 challenge, right, and frustration. Is that a little bit of kind of a catharsis through that? Absolutely. I think a lot of my work has a lot of that in it. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a dancer. We mm. use our bodies to express the things that we can't say, as they say. Um, so, yeah, 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 absolutely. That, that to me is really interesting because I, I was reading this, this story on you in the New York Times uh, by Jordan Levin, who I used to work with you know, uh, back at the, in the Herald back in the days. And there was this really, this thing that struck me where, where you, you went through a period when you were a kid where you were, you were very, you almost didn't speak. You were really quiet or like your chosen moments to, to express yourself. I was just a quiet kid. I didn't have like a condition or anything. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was just very quiet and just introverted and I would, um, I grew up as a middle child of three boys. Mm. Um, the other two were heavily into sports, and I was just dancing and singing, mm. <laughs> singing around. So I guess in my household, I didn't really have siblings or many cousins that I felt like I had anything in common with, so I just kind of spent a lot of time writing plays and making dances to uh, the Aladdin soundtrack, just weird things <laughs> like that. Maybe in my house they were weird, but I guess they're kind of common. So yeah, I just was quiet a lot. But I think it also, because I didn't really speak a lot, I think I saw a lot. I mm. think my the way that I observe and perceive things were a little bit more heightened. And I think that's come to benefit me a lot, especially in dance, uh, being a choreographer in the front of the room, having to share information with dancers not every dancer receives the information in the same way mm-hmm. you know just because you say move the arm move the leg and then jump here especially if it's a highly stylized way of doing those things mm-hmm. the way that you communicate i think is really important here comes there i just want air air good and can you like when you are reading the room you can tell how this person needs to be communicated in this way in order for them to get to mm. get to the end result. And this person needs a completely different way, you know, in interacting with them in order to get the same result. And I think that really comes from just um, observing and like really staying open and having your senses sort of like there and present. So you can like watch and like see what each dancer needs and you don't really get around to all of them but I think it's definitely a skill Mm. (laughs) that I think I've developed since I was young 
Yeah, I, I noticed, I was thinking about that yesterday when I was sitting through your rehearsals and I, I wanted to ask you, like, when, when you're in this space that you're in right now where you're in the rehearsals and you're preparing to, to premiere a new work, how do you approach that rehearsal space? How do you try to kind of show up to that so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, share all of this information with with yeah. the dancers and the emotion too because it is an emotional piece like you were saying i i, I kind of do it in layers because when you're dealing with dance and you're dealing with people's bodies i think it's a very vulnerable place the very sensitive the level of sensitivity is very high in the room for everybody myself included so for that reason i try to keep the energy in the room really casual and really light because dance it can be really heavy um, at times, at least a lot of people's approach to it, especially when you're sharing the movement, especially because dance has so much history and there's so many people that have like placed a certain amount of like weight of like, this is the best thing and this person was the best dancer. You know what I mean? So, and we're all carrying this weight. Mm. <laughs> when we do a pirouette, for example, when you do a pirouette, and then you have like Barishnikov who's like done... 300 of them like 10 times better than you have do you know what i mean so like i feel like just to like bring everything down so that everyone is on an equal playing field i try to be i try to keep it really light and very neutral i try not to choose favorites i try to um just and be really real with everybody yes i have some of the information here you know what i mean but they have information too. So I try not to place myself above them either. I honestly don't even like to sit in the front of the room. Mm. I just have to, just because I have to see uh, what I'm making from a certain perspective. But if I could, I would I would be in the back of the room because it's just kind of, seeing it from the mirror makes me feel like I'm in it and I'm not like dominating the situation. I try not to dominate the situation. I try to really let the dancers sort of tell me what they need. And I think that, that happens in various different ways. Is that is that different for you now? Because you and you were a dancer for so long, and now you're technically a retired dancer, right? Like you're, like has it been difficult to kind of step away from being a dancer? Like no, and then and being no. in this role where you're where you're creating now. No, no absolutely not. No, 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 no. Dancing is hard. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's very, very hard. I'm glad and happy and grateful that I'm not <laughs> doing it anymore. But I I much prefer to be a choreographer to a dancer. I'm curious. You, you talked about <laughs> you talk so much about this this energy, right? That energy in the room and trying to keep it at a level where you know you can get the best out of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious whether when you do a play like like Sea Change, whether it's play specific, like was that play with the idea? I mean, this play, this dance, was it with the idea of playing in Miami versus? Would it feel different playing anywhere else? Like, is there something place specific about it being here that affects the energy and, and the creation of it? Um, no, I don't think so. It's actually a title that I've been holding on to. Hmm. I have a, a one of those notes on my phone, and it's like it's full of titles and names and right. things. And it was a title that I wanted to use for a piece before COVID, actually. I mean, I just kind of held on to it and... Um, it came out now, but no, I don't, I think sea change is something that, you know, the theme could be used in any place at any time. I think we're, the world is always changing. Um, and everybody knows what change feels like. Right. Hmm. But I guess is, 
Have you ever, I guess, developed a, a piece of dance that was place-specific? No. Or not so much because of maybe your life as a dancer and all of I the movement that, that you've lived through? I just don't think I um, have sat in one place for long enough. Even when I was living in New York, like I would be touring half the year. and I've never really felt a strong tie to one place at all as a, as a person. I'm not really a place person. I'm like a some other kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about I guess how about like the the studio? Like do do studios feel like like they're your place? No, I do like um open spaces, like blank spaces. You know how sometimes you'll you'll, you'll walk downtown and there's like it used to be a bank, but now it's just like an empty space and you'll see a couple like those kind of spaces I find so inspiring open spaces blank pages like places where you look at it and you see that there's potential to fill it with something so in a sense yeah studios do feel like that to me like there's free reign like you can go and you can run around in it do like 80 laps if you want you can like bring items in you can take things out so I, I like I like uh, potential I think I find potential to be really inspiring or places or things that like mm. that I feel like I can impose my creative ideas onto, I guess. Mm. Which which is interesting because I mean for like writing for instance, like the most terrifying thing is the blank page. Yeah. Necessarily. You know, it's a story you hear over time. But there's something there's something about a clean sheet of paper and a stack of crayons is kind of what you're expressing, right? Yeah, and I would draw a lot when I was younger. I, I still draw, but just not as much at all. <clears throat> but that was like, before I started dancing, drawing was like my dance. Oh, really? <laughs> so like, yeah, like having that blank piece of paper and just going and just like having that freedom to create, I think is awesome. I was also thinking about writing yesterday as I was watching the rehearsals because it's like, you know, when you're teaching a new choreography, you have to be, it's almost like you're, you're massaging and you're editing and you're working through mm -hmm. things with people. And what is like the part of the creative process in, in doing a new work that you like the most? Is it like the beginning when there's like all this excitement before like maybe like anxiety has set in or... It's definitely the beginning. <laughs> it's the be the beginning where I'm building a concept and I'm building a, a movement vocabulary that is specific to the theme of this piece. Because, you know, it's the, it's the blank page again. It's like nothing was there. Let me try to, you know, bring something that wasn't, that didn't exist into the world. And I love those first steps of like experimentation and discovery. And then once... I have an understanding, okay, this is the movement style for this piece. This is the theme. And then the, the real work starts. And that's when, you know, your hair starts to fall out and you get styes in your eye and you don't sleep. <laughs> all, that, <laughs> all of that is really exciting too, but it's definitely, um, it's, it's, it's that feeling that the pressure, you know, then gets put on because there's always a deadline. So, so who, who helps you with that? What do you turn oh, to? I mean, is it all... I wish I had help. Yeah, is it all kind of like like detailing the thing in your head? I mean, with writing, it's always great to have an editor. Is there someone who's always been, whether it's a position that you have or a person that's been a sounding board for you over the years that, 
that you no, find helps you through that? I learned to make dance through making dance. You know, I didn't go to school for this. And I've always been my own everything. Uh, <laughs> my own editor, sometimes my own costume designer, sometimes mm-hmm. my own scenic designer, um, sometimes my own lighting designer. Um, I build all the concepts by myself. And uh, I used to have a couple friends, one friend in particular who I was really close to. She's one of my best friends that I used to, that used to be a really good sounding board for me, but then she moved to Canada. Um, so now I don't really have that. I benefited from that a lot. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm saying I am my own everything, it doesn't mean that it's a good thing. I'm just answering your question. Um, I, I honestly do wish I had a little bit more uh, of help, I guess, or like, uh, yeah, I'll say help. There's like a collaboration, maybe like if somebody like if somebody understood my brain and could help me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've I've built, I guess a a network of these people over the years that I've mm-hmm. been in dance, but. The times that we've all been together in a room working on one project mm-hmm. is very, it's maybe it's only happened once. Maybe. Right. Mm. I'm thinking about the first time that you've described, I guess, being moved by a piece of dance mm-hmm. when, when you were younger. And, and I wonder, what do you remember about the feeling of the first time that, that you experienced dance and it moved you and you were like, oh, this is not just something that I'm interested in in experiencing as a performance, but it's something that I actually want to do myself mm-hmm. and try out. I don't know. Those formative years are so hard to remember. And I'm such a, a big picture person. And I've used energy a lot in this conversation. But when I think back, I, I, I don't remember specifics, but I do remember like the energy of what I saw and like the, how it made me feel. I just felt like I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to try it. <laughs> um, and then once I, once I did, and I remember, you know, I would try to dance. I tried to emulate what I saw professional dancers do at home before I started formal training. And I knew that I wasn't right. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't I, I, there was an understanding that I did not have. And I knew that I needed formal training in order to get the feeling that I saw those dancers have on stage. So I had this like, strong desire to like I don't know do anything like put on a tutu give me some tights or let me just like go into a dance studio and look at the lights so I just had like this really strong curiosity about it that I just kind of kept poking at for years and years and years until um I got the courage to formally audition well that 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 kind of it I think about you with two brothers who are really athletic, who are also athletic, it sounds like. And, yeah. and we're talking about the expression of something inside. So, like, the first time, you know, as, uh, as you're playing football, that you leap up in the air and you, you snatch a, somebody's a football pass out of the air. Mm-hmm. There is something about that that maybe an athlete says, I want more of that. And then I need instruction in that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then what we're talking about is the expression of creativity. Yeah. Really, right? It's like that moment of inspiration that says, oh, I want more of this, right? So when you're you, when you're growing up in a house, you're clearly a, you know a big athletic guy. You're growing up in a house with two other kids who are athletes. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you? Where did that creativity come into your life? Like, what is it that kept you busy? Like, when your brothers were out playing ball, like, what is it that like really sparked an interest for you? 
I think I liked pretty things. <laughs> I, think I, I think I liked pretty things and I wanted to make nice things. Like I wanted to make beautiful things. I remember like like making clothes for dolls and I remember like uh, trying to paint in ways that, you know, I wasn't painting like, you know, dark monsters and things like this. These were like curves and flowy, <laughs> flowy things. I think I've always had a desire to kind of like bring beauty into the world in a, in a sense, but almost in a very um, conventional way. Mm. I mean, the older I got, I, I learned to abstract and sort of find beauty in abstraction. So it wasn't always conventional, but like to me, uh, it was still beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Some people might say, oh, that's weird, but I always thought that they were... <laughs> No, I, I, I love nice this things. idea of, of finding things that are beautiful and bringing them into your life, especially because that's fuel, right? Like that's, yeah. that's where you feel comfort. And, and, it, and it makes me think like, I, I want to know more about like what your life was like at the point where you wanted to have, like you were like, you felt like a, a dearth of beauty, you know, that you wanted more. Of that I was born that way. I, I don't remember a time where <laughs> I wasn't like that. Um, my dad was uh, a creative, and I think most of everything we're talking about, dance included, I kind of got from him. So. Oh, what would tell me about your dad's creative background? Oh, my dad was really smart. He could build, make anything. He um, he had like a, a dance group apparently when he was young, and they would like go to the club. I mean, like you know, seventies like dance club. And he would like make the clothes for like I don't know I think they wore like some jackets like he would like make he would make his own clothes sometimes essentially and he would That's make amazing. some of the clothes that they would go to the club in and compete with the other with the other dance groups. Oh my god! That is amazing. <laughs> But yeah. that's like such an un, that's like an unconventional thing, right? Like like making your own clothes to go to the club, you know, and like and, yeah. and, and, no, <laughs> and especially when you come from like like you grew up in Gould, right? Like yeah. Miami's like not yeah. like an easy place to grow up. Like yeah. where where like men are men and there are things that you do and women are women and the things that women do. Like mm -hmm. your dad was like making clothes and like you yeah. were the kid drawing and making little making dresses on things, you know, like yeah, there is a pushing back there. Yeah, I don't think he saw it as like an artistic thing. I think he was like, well, I want this kind of jacket because I think that'll be hot. I don't have the money to buy it, so let me just make it. For him, I think it was really practical. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. Have you had conversations like later in your life um, with some of your family members that maybe had, they also had their forms of artic artistic expression, but they didn't label it as that. They labeled it as, you know, this is practical or this is just like something that I'm doing because I need to or whatever. Maybe not conversations, but I remember watching my, I think it was my grandmother. She would do a lot of gardening. She at one point was doing like needlework. You know, those like rings, mm -hmm. like these little wooden rings and you kind of put the fabric inside and you kind of needle mm -hmm. these colored, this colored yarn like in and out of it. I remember wanting to learn that from her. She would do stuff like that. Um, I don't know if she perceived it as like, oh, I am an artist making artistic things. I think they were kind of just hobbies for her, but she was she was good at them. I thought. Mm -hmm. Oh, and she also she would she would sew a lot. She actually taught me how to sew a little bit, and then I went on to like go to fashion school at one point. Oh, really? I did. Yeah. Oh, cool. Here in Miami, or at what part point? Of no, yeah. in New York. I was dancing in the Ailey Company for about 
was like I had been da- dancing there for two years. And I don't know, the whole while I was there, I wanted to like go and explore other things. You know, I, I moved to New York at 18 years old. There's a lot of growing and changing and they, a lot of things happen when in between like when you're 18 years old. So being in that company for like two to three years, you know, company structure is very, it's, it's restrictive in a sense. It's, it's, it's not like you can like go to bars and go to clubs because you got to be at rehearsal all day the next day, you know? So your lifestyle is very, um, it can, it can be very small. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to like push beyond that. I had a really strong desire, probably like an ignorantly strong desire to like push beyond that. And, and one of the things I wanted to do was be a fashion designer. It was kind of like stuck in my head even before I even left Miami. Um, and I just had to go do it. So I went after about two or three years of professional dance. I did what, maybe one semester of fashion school. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> You're like, I need to create it. things, but this is not the way that I... Not that sitting I've... at a sewing yeah. machine. Yeah. You, you mentioned watching your grandma. She was, um, she was a big influence to you then early on. I loved her. I, I still love her. She's no longer with us, but I just thought she was one of the best, still one of the best people I've ever met. Shout her out. What's, what was her name? Leary Davis. Leary Davis. <laughs> yeah, I thought she was so cool and so sweet and so real and so generous and so caring. All those things that, like, you would, like, those typical things you would say about a really good grandmother. She was, like, all of that and more. I thought she was so awesome. I think about her a lot, actually. Were you, were you missing that? Were you missing that in your life that when she came, it was, like, a light like that? Well, I don't know if I was missing it. I mean, she's always she was always there. Because I was gonna say, like the the woman who who helped raise me. My parents worked literally all day. They dropped me. My dad would drop me off like half asleep. Yeah. And then they would go work all day. And then they yeah. would get home at when it was dark already. And in between, you know, there was this, I call her my abuelita and and her husband, my abuelito, and they were like. It was that I needed that. I needed that kind of, you know, when there was kind. You get home and you're kind of rudderless, you know, to have that um, folks that give you a path, that give you something to keep you busy, that think you creatively. My grandfather, I worked with wood a lot, you know, because he did, you know. So, so I was just wondering what kind of, like, what she, what she helped bring into your life. Like, she must have seen your creativity and says, like, I have to feel this (laughs) from this kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've. I experienced her as being really grounding and really, uh, I guess, gentle with me. And I think I needed, when I was younger, that type of sweetness. You know, growing up with two, like, crazy brothers. (laughs) You know what I mean? It can really make a, a household vibrate sometimes with, like, a certain energy. And so whenever I would get a chance to go to her house, it was like everything became like really serene and like there were certain smells in her house that just weren't in my house. And I just, I, I just thought, I think I just needed that, like that sensitivity. Mm. What do you remember? What smells do you remember? What are those flowers that she had? The white ones, the gardenias. She mm. loved gardenias. And 
Did she have gardenia bushes? Or yeah, she, she had oh. a tree in the in the front of her house, and sometimes she would bring some of the flowers inside. So that smell uh, specifically reminds me of my grandma. Yeah. And were you guys was were you living in her house at, at some point with your two brothers? I was, but my two brothers were not. Yeah, they mm. were living with my other grandma. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. And like, at what point in your life was that? When you were living it's with like your middle grandma? middle school. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a tough time. Yeah. Middle school is like maybe the hardest time when you're... You know. All of school is the hardest time. Didn't like it. It's a fact. You were, re- <laughs> you, were, you were ready to be done with school. You were like, I was you ready have to have school. never started. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't a school person. Yeah. Like but at then, all. did you go to school? I went to many schools. Where did I graduate? Or like, no, you want me to list I, yeah, all the schools? Yeah, let's list them. I mean, that's, I oh think that's part of it, right? I went to Gould's Elementary. I went to maybe Perrine Elementary. I went to Southwood Middle School, Coral Reef, Senior High, Mays Middle School. <laughs> Eventually, I graduated from New World School of the Arts. At one point, I was at Redland Middle School. Um, I went to a, I did fifth grade in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, oh. The, was that somewhere around Hurricane Andrew in 92? Because that's, yeah. that's why we went there, because mm. this place was devastated. Yeah. Schools. Yeah. I've well, done them. A lot <laughs> of schools. <laughs> I mean, like, you never, you never had a chance. I mean, I don't, I don't have any high school buddies, generally, that I, that I keep up with, but I yeah. do have, like, young college buddies that, you know, that I... And, like, that... I don't know, man. That that sounds like a really tumultuous way to grow up. Like you were moving around a lot. Yeah. Like, if you're changing schools, you're moving around a lot. I'm like yeah. that's that's um. Yeah. I don't know. I, I so what was the anchor for you? Like what was the thing or the person? Like was that dance? Was that dance for you? Was what was the anchor? I mean, there was always some matriarch, you know, figure in my family that provided an anchor, whether it was my aunt or my mother when she was around, or my grandmother, they, they were the anchors. I mean, in black families, oftentimes, the black women are the anchors, mm-hmm. you know? So, was there, was there someone, to t- talk to me about like that, obviously you have emotional support from these folks. Who is like the first mentor? Like who is then the person that sees your talent, you have this support system, and then says like, hey, trust me with this talent, you know, he can go places with this. Yeah, that was um, Angel Fraser Logan. <laughs> She's uh, the owner of the Dance Empire Dance Studios down in South Miami. Okay. Um, she had just opened her studio as I was entering as a freshman, I think, at Coral Reef Senior High. And she was sort of going around to different schools to recruit kids to come and take classes because, you know, it's a new business. Right. Um, and she saw me and she was like, I think you're talented. I think you should come to my dance school. And I was like, cool, but I don't drive and I don't got no money to pay for classes. <laughs> and so she scholarshiped me and she would drive me, you know, back and forth from dance. And, she herself would drive oh, you. Yeah. Amazing. And so, yeah, she took me under her wing and taught me a lot of great things about dance. And then at one point when I was old enough to go to high school, she was like, I think you should go to New World because this is where you'll get the best training to like go and be a professional dancer. And so that's what I did. And how was, how was New World like for you? If, if you were saying... Oh, no, the head shake. Oh, no. <laughs> you already New World is a school. Yeah. I already sold you how Right, no, exactly. Well, well that, that's what I was thinking about because, I mean, yeah, it is a school, but it is a, it's a performing arts school. Yeah. So 
we had someone on our show. He's a, a visual artist. He's a painter. He has mm-hmm. a, a his first exhibit at Pam, and he was telling us like how devastating it was for him to not get into New World. Like I think for for kids in Miami, you know, I I grew up in Miami too. I I remember being here in Miami City Ballet when all of my classmates were doing their auditions for New World, and mm-hmm. like I wasn't even auditioning, and I was like stressed out for them because it was like all that they would talk about. Yeah. You know, uh, so what what was that environment like when you were there? It's really eye opening to me. Like that, what you were just describing, I never had that. Like I gotta go to New World. I never had. This. I didn't even know what a New World <laughs> was until Angel told me <laughs> what it. What is a New until World? She told me what it was, and I was like, okay, cool. This is where they got the good dance. So I'll go here. But I was really naive in a in a sense. You know, um, yes, I had this like desire to dance, but like I could only see the dance that was in front of me. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't. It was hard for me to like see or n- imagine what a professional dance career in New York would look like. Like, how could I possibly, you know, imagine that? So, so like, yeah, draw that line. That to me is so interesting. Is I just kid- had really, I just had mentors and teachers that were just like, go in this direction, go here, go there, go here, go there. Even when I didn't know, they were older, so they had seen and they had experienced things. And even when I got to New World, one of the teachers there. Uh, Peter London was a dancer with the Martha Graham Dance Company. So he was another mentor that I met once I got there, and he said, go to Ailey, you know. So people were just kind of like pushing me in the in the directions that they thought were best for me at the time, and I followed. When, when was, I, I mean, I always think about this, like when was the point where you kind of look out over, look out over the cliff, or look out over the ledge and, and see the world that could be in front of you, this where you're traveling all over the world, creating shows all over the world. You know, when was the point that it really hit you that, you know, you're not just taking the next step and the next step, one foot in front of the other, but you kind of see like, oh, I can have not just a real career here. I can I can have the kind of life that oh, I've always now, wanted. Oh, now, now is the point. <laughs> wow, just now. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a late bloomer, I think, in a lot of ways. Not because I'm slow or something, but I am. But I'm slow because I, I live in my interior world is very full, and it's and so sometimes <laughs> I live so much in there to where it's it can be a challenge for me to like step outside of that and see the actual world for what it is, or see where I am placed at any certain time because I'm so focused on like entertaining and cultivating my interior world so that I can make things. Do you know what I mean? So you do you need that? Do you need a lot of, do you need silence? Do you need- I need not- a lot of silence and a lot of space. Mm. How do you get that? Where do you- I say go yeah, away, how, everyone. How get- are you a headphones guy? Like, are you, a, are you just like, don't leave my apartment for a day or two? Like- Yeah, I, I stay inside a lot. Um, I kind of always have, even when I was a, a kid here. I, I, I make it. I carve out the space when I feel that I need it. And depending on, because my life is never stable because I'm always on the move. So depending on where I am and what the circumstances are, I make the choices that I need to get the space that I need depending on that. Mm. And it's always different. That, you know, we always talk about, we always hear people talk about home, places that feel like home. 
and I'm wondering, do you have a place that feels like home, or are you like the, the, the snail? I was gonna yes. say that. I was <laughs> yeah, gonna like, say you that. Carry, like a snail, you carry your I home on your back. I am the snail, absolutely, yeah. or the what are they? What are the crab or turtle or yeah? <laughs> well, I think I think that a lot of that has has to do with maybe being a dancer because I think that when you're a dancer, there's so much focus on taking care of your physical body, but also you know, the things that are happening in your brain because all yeah. of it is connected and, and it comes out as you're dancing. So. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize all of it was connected until very later. So I could care less about what happened to my body and dance. I would just like blah, throw myself across the stage and like kicking way too high for the amount of flexibility that I had. But as long as like my mind and like my, my you know, that place was like, fertile and like active then I was cool mm. are you at a place now where where you even though you're not dancing professionally professionally anymore mm -hmm. are you at a place where you understand the connection between your mind and your body and oh, and you absolutely. kind of like live your life differently <laughs> absolutely I think to dance to be a dancer is to experience a lot of trauma physical trauma daily trauma they're small traumas but they accumulate and the best way to sort of work through that is uh through the mind do you know what i mean maybe you don't know what i mean but i know what i mean um, yeah i mean you have like, you have a pain tolerance you know i mean first you have to become mentally aware of what has been done to your body do you know what i mean why it's hurting in the way that it does or why do i have this chronic pain here or why does this knee keep popping and then to deal do the work of like getting rid of it you really have to like go you have to like train your mind and tell it that it's no longer being traumatized you know what i mean daily mm. and calm calm down you kind of have to like breathe a little bit more or become a little bit more aware of your body in a different way than when you were dancing just sending a lot more like love and like care and like breath to through the body which will then make you go and like get massages or take part in things that are more that make you like care for your body a little bit more but it really you it really has to start in your mind first or else you'll just be like at the gym like pumping away and being like I'm retired but I can't get fat and then you're like you know you're doing another kind of trauma <laughs> to yourself without having dealt with the one before listen embrace the size 34 waist that's uh, what you got to do just do it that's a that's another <laughs> segment yeah that's a different conversation <laughs> You know what? What always interested me is is this relationship between music and movement. Yeah. Right. Because you're you're talking about an expression. Well, in in a show like this that you're that you're uh, creating, talk to me about that relationship between music and movement. Which comes first, and how do you relate, and how do you work with the 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 music, the creation of it, to express that? Or does it, it come first? Come, what comes first, so to speak? I think movement comes first because you know when you come into the world, you're like. Wee! and you're squirming and you're moving like this that's the that's the movement the music is the sound of your voice and your heartbeat and your mother's voice and i think that there's something very uh primal and sort of instinctual for a lot of people that are dancers or musicians 
I think that's where it starts, but that's also getting way too deep. I'm going to go fine. forward. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> but all I have to say is that for me, it's always been really instinctual. Like I hear music and I just move. Mm. I remember having a conversation with my mother once recently and she was like, when you were a kid, you were always dancing. And I would just be like, why the hell is this kid dancing all the time? Um, and it wasn't, I, I remember, they tell me I used to do this dance called the Big Mama. Because Big Mama was like my grandmother's mother. <laughs> I guess I was like, Wait, you got? I know the radio audience can't hear, but you got to give us just some I don't, outside of the Big Mama. I don't know what it looked. I like. I feel like you need to interpret the Big Mama dance at some point. Yeah. You need to it go back. It might have looked time. like a lot of squatting, like you know how babies like do this like <laughs> knee buckling squat, like over and over and over. Oh, this was when you were like a baby, baby. Like yeah, that maybe was like when you toddler. Were doing the Big Mama. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And maybe like maybe a little bit older, but I remember. I don't remember. Do I remember doing it? I remember maybe doing it, but I remember there being like people around me mm. asking me to do this dance. But when I try and think of what it actually looked like or what I was doing, I can't really remember. Well, that's crazy that you remember. Like, it's crazy that you remember the feeling yeah, of having people really, really around vague, you and like there. watching and, and like being seeing like, do like do the, it. the feet of people like sitting, you know, while they're like asking me. That's to do insane. So. Can we talk a little bit about about the music for Sea Change? Yeah. And the music is by a composer named John Adams. I think the score is pronounced Farragain Gates. It's about 23-24 minute piano score for a solo pianist. He called it a behemoth of a score. Like it's it's a big, complex, layered. What sounds to me a very layered piano score that never holds on to one specific like time signature for too long. You know how most music you can like clap the rhythm. This girl is all <laughs> is all <laughs> over the place, um, and I kind of love love that because. It kind of helps me, helps lock into my water theme. You know, water is like sometimes it's flat. And then when there's a storm, you get these huge waves. And then, you know, I mean, it kind of like, it, it's really moving, uh, literally like <laughs> moving. I mean, I, I whoever plays this, uh, I'm going to give them a handshake, maybe a hug. <laughs> I think it's a huge feat. <laughs> I'm curious, like, how you experience dance culture and how do you hope it will continue to evolve? <laughs> I think we're in a sea change. I think we're in a, a moment. I think we're in a transition of uh, dance being and functioning one way and we're on our way to building and cultivating and trying to make a new way. Um, there were things about the old way that absolutely worked, and there are things about the old way that absolutely did not work that are still trying to make their way into the new way. And I just don't think they should be allowed. And I think that there is a generational crossing or like conflict there that is causing a lot of friction. I think that's all I'm going to say about that. And even that, I tried to be like super positive about it but even that sounds a little 
bleak. Mm. But that's that's honestly how I feel. So yeah. if anybody wants to come at me, come at me. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, it's funny because <laughs> I'm, I'm from the outside. I don't know when you talk about the the. It sounds like the pitfalls of dance culture. When you said dance culture, you guys, you two looked at each other. You immediately understood what that meant. What does that mean? Dance functions in a one-to-one, you know, day-to-day way. You know, the way we talk to each other, the way we uh, inclusivist, like diversity, <laughs> inclusivity, like yeah. of uh, uh the roles of of power, male, female, like all of these things. Do you know what I mean? Um, the way we talk to each other. Give me an example. Things that stood really, out. You're no, really things taking that, it there. <laughs> <laughs> things that stood out in your life. You're like, wow, that phrase is. I heard that when I was 18, and it's still ringing in my head. Yeah, like back in the day, if a teacher wanted you to jump higher, they'd be like, "Get your ass off the floor." Hmm. You can't say get your ass off the floor anymore. <laughs> you just can't say it yet. Some people are still saying get your ass off the floor. There are better ways to say it and get the same result. Jamar, you talked about just now kind of being at the career, at the point in your career where you can look out and yeah. you can kind of, and even look back a little bit. So I want to ask you to look forward, mm. like seeing where you are and the things that you've done. Are there things that you now appreciate and say, I'd like to maybe do this next. Maybe not fashion school, but what's next? What What are you interested in now? Writing. Hmm. I mean, I have been writing for years in different ways. Sometimes journalistic, sometimes trying to make a short story here, or at least trying to make a... Uh, a cool paragraph there or making a drawing and like sort of trying to write about what is happening in this drawing. I've just been kind of playing around with it. Um, but I would love at the, I don't know, when I'm like old to have been like written a couple novels. You but like fiction, you think? I used to be like a huge fan of fiction, but I'm in a non-fiction phase right now. What are you reading? What, what things have you read recently that you that you've stood out in your mind? Or written? Or written recently? I will never talk to you about anything I've written. <laughs> That's gonna make it real hard to become a writer, man. That's so not true. <laughs> I've said too much in this interview. You're gonna no. have to. Well, you know what? I think you haven't said enough, and maybe you can write about it. What? Yeah. No. You can write I'm about good. It. I'll just sit in my little shell. Tell all memoir, <laughs> Jamar Roberts. Jamar, thank you so much, man. It's thank been, you. Thank, we appreciate you making the time to talk to us. Thank you. That was Jamar Roberts. He's a choreographer and former professional dancer for the Alvin Ailey Company. He has a new work premiering this weekend with Miami City Ballet. It's his first premiere in his hometown of Miami. And that's Sundown for Wednesday, October 18th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. I'm our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's VP of radio. Engineering our boards today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at GoPalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Marlins had a short stint in the postseason this year. It's the farthest they've gotten in a while, though. We'll hear from the team's new radio voice. 
I'm Carlos Frias. I'm Elisa Baena. Good, Good vibes, vibes only. only.